Welcome listeners. I'm so glad you're returning for another episode of The Lori Clark Show, where we dive deep into issues that matter. I'm here again asking real people to share with us what lies beneath the surface. Without judgment, let's explore real conversation on adversity, struggle, triumph, and resilience. There is no doubt life is glorious, but it certainly has its challenges. And I'm ever so grateful to the brave souls who are willing to open up with me and teach us all how it is okay to be vulnerable. Her son was diagnosed with autism after he completed both elementary and high school at the age of 18 years old. Welcome, Julie. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Oh, I'm so good. And um, I just want to say that we have a few things in common today. Uh, our <laughs> our jazzy shirts that we've been (laughs) laughing about ever since we saw each other. And apparently I have the same mug as Julie. Me too. I should go get it. I got this mug like years and years ago. Oh yeah, I know. I I can't find another one like this. I know, I know. I have two of them. You do? I will sell you one. (laughs) (laughs) Of course you will. I will buy it. Okay. I will buy it as long as you don't sell it to me for too much. No. I got to think about how much this is worth. Yeah, exactly. this, this mug is like my cry mug, my joy mug, my, my mug. Like, it's so funny. It's super tight. It's <laughs> like, hold, it's like yeah. my blankie. Yeah, yeah, it's good. <laughs> oh, oh Julie, it's so good to have you. Nice to have you. Me, yeah. thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. And I wanna just, you know, talk about your struggle with your son. Um when did so Liam was just recently diagnosed. Yes. Can you tell me about why 18 years old? Well, he we had gone through a lot from him with him um from probably the age of four. And there were so many different things that were happening. So he had speech and language when he was younger. So we took him to a speech therapist. At home, his behavior was so much different than when he was out in the community in different groups or something. At home, he was slow to talk, but he was engaging, happy, easygoing, had friends where we lived. So all those markers of autism just weren't really there. And then when he started in kindergarten is when more of the issues came up in terms of relating to other kids. Um, But it's just, it wasn't a straight road. It's a very windy road to get from where he was to where he is now. And he's very complex. So when someone says, you know, the markers to autism uh, are obvious, if someone were to say that, Right. To you, that wasn't the case. No, no, because all those things, like he was able to read my expressions where sometimes kids with autism don't really have that, don't understand those social nuances. He was able to do that. He had friends that he was able to share with. Um, he, he was always younger for his years, but that's not def- necessarily a marker of autism. That was just his personality. He had a lot of anxiety and it really cropped up as he aged. And then when he was about grade two, 
that's when sort of the issues in terms of school, like he wasn't able to sit, he wasn't able to focus, he was taunting his peers, he was um, disruption in the classroom, which at home, he did not display any of that. He was a very sweet-natured boy who loved playing with his friends. We did not see that at all, so it was so complicated. And that's when we started to get some supports for him. So we had a psych ed assessment from um, a clinic in Surrey, very extensive. They did not say at that point that he had autism at all. He had ADHD, anxiety, borderline cognitive challenges, which I knew he was smarter. I wouldn't call him borderline. So, so just to, just to mm -hmm. ask and to interject, when yeah. you say cognitive, Yes. You just said, I know he's smart. He was smarter. Yes. So were they saying on the cognitive scale that he was yes. uh, lower functioning? Yes. yes. Well, but, so then how would you have made that determination to say, look, I, I know he's smarter. What was well, the discrepancy there? Right. Well, he loved facts. He's, he loved information, which that is typical of autism as well. But that's typical of lots of eight-year-olds. He loved books. He loved reading. He loved dinosaurs he loved you know i'd buy him the guinness world book of records every year like he just loved to read so i knew that he was smart um and just he was very funny as well very quick-witted and to have a quick wit you need some intelligence right he like he just got nuances that lots of kids wouldn't get so we always thought keith and i always thought it was more of his anxiety and so when he was tested his anxiety would go to the surface and he wouldn't test very well because he was so anxious. Interesting. So, so that, it was just, that's why I keep saying he was so complicated. Um, and that's what we thought in terms of school too, because so much stimulation was coming at him at once that all of a sudden he would act out. But because so much was coming at him at once, which you, that is sometimes how an autistic child can act as well. But he was anxious. So it's almost like what comes first. And, and they also, it seems to me like what you just said was they defined uh, that they, they determined rather that there was an ADHD component. Yes. So then if he's not being able to uh, focus and whatever, then that's where they're thinking. They're going, oh, okay, well, that's just ADHD going on. That's right. That's right. So then he was on different medication for that and that didn't help. And in, in hindsight, you know, in that, that grade two, we, we, well, I mean, I did the best I could at the moment for him in terms of supports. Like that's when then we, the psych ed assessment, that's when I think we started with the psychiatrist, eight, age eight, age nine. And then put him on different medications to kind of calm that behavior down. So what kind of medications was he on? He was on lots of different ones for ADHD. They tried so many different things. And, the, and, the, and let's talk about the medication for a moment because it is not easy to go from medication to medication. It takes a lot of time yeah. to, to uh, settle into something. So yeah. what, when you're, you know, for those people who are listening, you know, who are like, I preach it, sister, I totally know. What was your time frame? Can you kind of think back about, you know, when and how long these were taking to become effective? 
That's a good question. And I can't remember exactly. I just know that he was on for maybe six months and, and we or so, and we say, no, I don't think that works. We also had experience because his older brother, Luke has ADHD and he had all the markers of ADHD. So he was on a medication that worked for Luke. So I could kind of compare Liam never had the hyperactivity that Luke did. He had more of the attention. So that's where Liam was more complicated. Mm. So I would not call him a hyper child. It was more of the attention. So the connection between you and Keith and yeah. Liam, that was, there was nothing indicating there was uh, a disconnection there. No, he was completely attached to both Keith and I, and we had a really good relationship like us as a family and, and Liam. Um, yeah. And we, my job then just became to try to figure out the best supports for him. And it was, you know, such a journey from, you know, grade two and probably it all started in terms of his behaviors. Then grade three, grade four is when it all fell apart. And then, yeah. And then so I had, you were in grade two, you were tested and a teacher recommended yes. you be tested. Yes. You went and followed that through. Was that testing uh, you pr paid privately? Well, we had benefits, but okay. yeah, so that covered it. Okay. Yeah. And then what happened between grade two and three and four? When it well, all, four was when it all fell apart. So yeah. two and three, what happened there? Well, so then they gave us some, some guidelines in terms of how to help Liam best. So it's like individual, individual um, attention, breaking down tasks. So kind of a game plan. But at that point, I'm on my own with him trying to navigate and figure out all these supports because he didn't have a diagnosis, which then would give us supports and professionals. So it was me trying to figure all this out. And that's hard so by by grade and we were just hoping that he would calm down because we didn't know at the time right so we we're thinking okay well we'll put him in like have one-to-one -one in the classroom and the school that he was in really wasn't equipped to deal with his special needs so then in, we decided when it ended when they they asked him to leave that school at the end of grade april of grade four um oh, wait, wait, wait wait yeah so, they so. <laughs> okay, I missed that part. <laughs> yes, yes, they did. All right, all right. yeah, stop right there because I, I would like to know about this without discuss without discussing the school. I yeah. I would like to know. Okay, what did that look like for you? So, so was it just because there was so much going on that they could not support in any way? Was it a was it? I mean, I don't understand. Yeah. What's that? Was he expelled? Yeah, he was expelled. Grade four. So, so we, he had a teacher then that was well known within the school to be very old school and had a very certain way of how she taught. And any child that didn't fit with, within that stream was, was very challenging for her to teach. And there wasn't any EA help in the classroom. There was only one, um, learning support teacher for the whole school. So his behavior had, so, so with Liam, the more anxious he got, the more less supported he felt in the classroom, 
the more his behavior increased to unacceptable ways, right? Like he was. Mm -hmm. because, because from my listening to people's stories and what yes. families across Canada are telling me, they're yes. saying the most children yes. need certainty. Right. And if, and if your son doesn't feel a level of certainty, yes. then there's going to be a reaction to that certainty. This, this goes across every child, typical or on the autism spectrum. It doesn't really matter. But yeah. especially with a child with a learning difference, I right. think that is something that is paramount and fundamental to them being successful. Right, exactly. And he, he was not, they didn't understand Liam. They didn't have the, the supports for him. And he was put like on the side of the class, like by the teacher and ostracized. And then the more that happened, the more he acted out. So he was, you know, kids would have their stuff on their desk and Liam would be pushing it. And he's not a, he was, he's a sweet natured, kind boy. That's not within his character to do that. So it just deteriorated to the point where the principal called us in and said, you know, Liam basically cannot stay. And that was April of grade four. So I'm working full time at this point. Keith was working, but he worked, you know, he had a job full time. He was working from home. So he stayed at home to kind of figure out, worked with Liam, um, and stayed with Liam, and I was working three days a week. So we just kind of patchworked to make it work. And then we went to the public school system in, in September, grade five. Okay, but let me stop you. So now I'm gonna ask you a question. Yeah. How did you feel? I, this is the point, I think, where conversation needs to happen because there must have been a point where you broke into tears and you felt sad and you felt like, what are you, why are you saying this? Or what am I doing wrong? Can you talk about the emotions that you went through? Because there are so many people who are having troubles with this sort of situation yeah i mean what happens to someone can you share that part of your experience yeah i can even feel it right now i want to burst oh. into tears okay <laughs> like, and, and why what is that trigger for you because it was so unfair and i feel like i let liam down in a way because i i felt like i should have fought for him more but i didn't know what i know now right and he had it just felt like no one understood or no one was listening to us or they're blaming Liam for his behaviors in the classroom. It's like if you have cancer, you wouldn't blame the patient for, for not being able to get out of bed. And yet here they're blaming Liam. He was 10 years old for these behaviors. And the, I remember his report card or what the teacher had written, the choices Liam has made. Liam didn't make those like, he wasn't deliberately trying to do any of this. He wasn't a defiant, horrible mm. child. He was reacting in a way that was survival. And then at home, we saw such a different kid. And that's why he was so complex to us. And Well, and I can only imagine the next part of this conversation. My brain goes here. And this is part of the honest conversation that we're having. My brain goes, and... The teacher may have made a assumption 
about your parenting skills. Yeah, probably. And that never came through. Oh, probably it did. I don't think no one, no one ever said that directly to me, but I remember one time he had, was on medication, right? And it was a long lasting medication. If he had missed a day, there would have been no effect. It was one of those drugs that stayed in his system. So one day she confronted me and she said she had had a bad day with Liam and that, you know, did he take his medication and really blaming me for the fact that he might've missed a day, which even if he missed a day, it would have been an effect. I remember her doing that to me. And at that point too, like it was not only, we weren't just dealing with the school. At that point we had a psychiatrist that I had figured out. At that point, I think we had someone from Children's Hospital. So I was trying to gather all these resources, right? Um, for supports for him. And I think at that point too, he had seen a play therapist and Keith and I were getting some help as well to how to help him at home. So I wasn't blaming the school. That's not, I was just trying to get all these people together to help him, right? And you were trying to do this, may I add, with yeah. a shaky diagnosis. Because, because you, you are, it sounds to me from what you're saying, you're going, okay, if this is ADHD, then how come I am still having these problems? Right. And anxiety and yeah, all these issues, right? It wasn't, yeah, it was, if he had had an autism diagnosis, then all these play, all these supports would have happened. But so then we put him in a different school and that really fell apart within the first three weeks. So then um, I think then we had a social worker involved at that point and the psychiatrist. And then I said, I want him at Children's Hospital because I want him tested. There has to be more to it than this, right? So let's talk about that um, when we come back in a moment, shall we? Okay, sounds good. So let's talk about grade four. So where we were in the conversation is there was struggle. He moved from one school to another and yeah. it didn't seem like there was a difference. No. And, and at that point we had a psychiatrist involved. We had, um, like, I'll show you the binder. Okay. Yeah. Show me the binder. Different. So this was... Hold all, it up. Hold it up so we can all see. Okay. Look at that. That is huge. I know. I know. So it's, and I divided it between school and different psychiatrists. So he, wow. Children's Foundation, social, like a social worker, mental health treatment plan. Um, I took him for auditory processing um, right. evaluation. Um, then he was a month in, 2011 at Children's Hospital for testing. There was no, he didn't have, they didn't diagnose him with autism then. They said he had anxiety disorder. Yeah. Borderline, here we go again with the borderline intellectual functioning. So what is borderline? Like I, I, like well, I know what borderline is, but right. I just, why are, why is this being used as a term to define your son? Yeah. It, I know. Did they ever explain that to you? Because it yeah. sounds like you're confused about it. I am. Well, because that's not how we saw him. <laughs> and and right. I think 
because of his behaviors, even, even at Children's Hospital, um, and they have a criteria when they, when they diagnose him, they had assessment, and that always came back as borderline. Did that give you a red flag, Julie, to say, okay, why are you always coming back to me with this one thing that's borderline? How come? Did you ever ask that question? Or is that something that you go, in hindsight, I think I would do that over again? In hindsight, I think I would do that over again. Yeah. Because, and in some ways too, you don't want to hear that your child is borderline. Like, what does that mean? And what does that mean for his future? I just... And, and I guess I held on to the fact that I would see him in such a different way at home that I, I didn't see him as borderline. I didn't want to see him as borderline. And, hmm. and, and that's certainly not the case right now of him. I would not call him borderline. <laughs> what would all. you call, well, how, and then this is, I think this is also where we move into the topic of definitions and how we label people and, you know, and the labels are there for a very good reason. And I understand all of that. But sometimes yeah. it doesn't resonate. And so when it doesn't resonate, then there needs to be something talked about to say, okay, why isn't this resonating? Yeah. Uh, right? Because it didn't, it didn't fit with you. And no. so then was there discovery about that? Was it like you and Keith were going, this doesn't fit. This whole thing here doesn't make sense let's let's move through this right yes we we did think that and then when when in grade i guess it was grade five we had a teacher um not a teacher but she was more of a case manager and we had lots of meetings because his behavior was very concerning he wasn't in the classroom at all at that point okay but or, you didn't talk to me about when he fell apart oh so, so, when, so we've missed we've missed so pause that and let's go back a little to when it fell apart in grade four. Okay, so when it fell apart in grade four, then he was home with us in April, and we just we just stayed home with him. I think we had a visiting teacher come in once or twice. I can't remember, it was so long ago, but I think we had that. And then in grade five, we put him in a different school. We thought it would get better, it, it didn't. So then by that time, well, yeah, we're in a- How did you tell him, Julie? Yeah. How did you and Keith tell him? you are not going back to school and you're staying at home. What was that conversation like? I think Take that me was, back there. I'm trying to remember because it was so long ago now, but uh, I can't remember how we said it. It was just that, I mean, his behavior had deteriorated at school at that point. So it was just where we made a decision that it wasn't good for Liam to be there anymore. And we were gonna take a break at that point and have a teacher come in. I never wanted to make Liam feel bad about it because, I mean, his behaviors weren't okay and I wasn't condoning that either. Like he would, you know, climb on top of a bleacher, you know, things like that. It was not safe at some point. So we, I think we just said, you know, you're going to stay home until we can find a, a school that fits better for you. And he didn't have any issues surrounding that like, well, that's unfair or why am I being... Probably. I think he did. I can't remember, honestly, those conversations, yeah. Yeah. but he probably did. I think, and that's a, the big thing with Liam too, is that he always felt he was dumb, that he oh. wasn't good enough. And, you know, even though we tried to reassure him that he was, when you have that experience since kindergarten of all these things happening, he just, 
you know, he took it all in. So it was and that is really what happens with a lot of families where the parent believes in the child, the parents saying, you're not dumb. You yeah. are not, you are amazing. And you've been, yeah. you're created and it's lovely and you're awesome. But the yeah. reinforcement for six hours a day yeah. is sit over here because yeah. you have a difference. And, yeah. and, and that, that causes uh, internal conflict. Right. And I think the blessing and all that for our family is that we were in the same house forever. It was the only house the kids ever knew. There was a ton of friends that Liam played with and it was normal. He had amazing friendships. We went on vacations. Um, we were a normal family that did things together and Liam's behavior within the home was quite good for the most part. He was, I would say, you know, 10 or 11, eight, you know, there was issues that came up, but nothing where I was pulling my hair out and felt like I couldn't deal with him. Um, he was, it was pretty good. There was sibling stuff between Luke and Liam that was normal. It was that the school piece, or, or sometimes it was like we put him in skating and it didn't work out because it was a group environment again. Or you put him in soccer, didn't work out. Swimming lessons, didn't work out. Anything in a group environment, Liam was not successful in. Have you been able to have a conversation about that? Do you know more about that now? Yes. Uh, about, and can you talk to me about why group would be so, was so difficult for right. Liam? So his anxiety would increase his um, feelings of his observation, how he sees himself as how he fits in with other kids. He's very keenly aware of that and the differences. He's socially younger for his years. It is very hard for him to connect with his peers. So then he would start acting up. He's not doing this consciously. He's doing this unconsciously at this point, right? The other thing is so much stimulation coming at him at once was very anxiety provoking. So then he didn't have a way or words for, to be able to express it. So it would come out behaviors. As he got older, we could work with him in that regard and help him to, ex to express himself in a more appropriate way. So it was just kind of time needed to happen. And all the while that big binder is yes. becoming its it's gaining pages. It's gaining pages. And that's right. So in grade five, he was put in a morning class with a worker. And at that point, I quit my job. So I had been working for 20 years, had to quit my job to stay home with Liam because Keith was working and I had to stay home. So, you know, it was a financial hit. But what else was I going to do? I, I had to. So I would drive him about 20 minutes into school, wait an hour, and then pick him up. And with the hopes that his behavior would calm down and that he could be integrated into the classroom. And then we had lots of meetings with lots of professionals, teachers. And there was one lady who said to me, she was a behavior specialist for the school and said, I think he needs to be tested for autism. I think he has autism. I think that's the issue. Wow. So we said, okay. So it was a year wait list um, and we waited. And we were interviewed, Liam was interviewed, came back, he's not autistic. That was grade five. What were their, what were their markers? Like what were they testing for? Did you ever discover that? Yeah, yeah, so, so and, and that's the complexity of Liam again, is because at home and from like, you know, they started asking me questions from his birth to age four or five, 
So all those things I talked about, like the social, able to read social cues, able to get along with his peers. Um, so many questions they asked about the home environment. It just didn't fit with a kid who had autism versus what we were seeing at school. The two didn't match up. Hmm. So to make very long and short of it, they said, no, he does not have autism. He's got ADHD. He's got anxiety. He does not have autism. He has got something called pervasive developmental disorder, not otherwise specified, which at that point, almost nine years ago, so the, the DSM-4, I guess it was at the time, had a criteria of autism. He did not fit into that criteria, but he fit into this PDD, which means there is something wrong with his brain. We don't know what it is, but it's not autism. So given that diagnosis, he did not get any supports. We did not, we didn't. Wow. So it was me then having then to be the one to, to get all these in place. Okay. So here we're going to talk about you again, because yeah. as a woman, yeah. a career woman, yeah. 20 years, yeah. you know, in the, in the, in building your own sense of all the things that your goals and your aspirations and moving forward. Can we talk about that? There are so many people and I, and I know you're doing this for your child and I, I'm a mother. I, I know what this, that's like, but what is the feeling like for you when you are giving up that part of yourself. Yes, it's for a great cause, but it doesn't come, uh, it's a sacrifice for you. How did you work through that? I don't know. I, I didn't see it as a sacrifice, honestly. Good. Because it be, he became my job in a way. It was like my duty and responsibility to make sure he, he became my, my reason. Um, and to stay home. I wasn't happy in my job, honestly, anyway. Okay. okay. <laughs> so, so that was okay. I'd been doing it a long time. I was in social services. So I, I knew how to navigate the system a little bit. Um, and he just became Your my, reason. my reason. And I was happy wow. and proud to do it. And now that he's graduated from high school, like I did my job. Like he was my purpose. So I wouldn't do it differently because that was my reason. So, but so Julie. yeah, he, I wouldn't, I mean, I can't imagine not doing it because now he's in Hawaii and he's self, you know. But I dare say that part of that response is so beautiful. And it, and I want to qualify that to say, there are a lot of people that have talked to me and said, it's a sacrifice, no matter how you slice it, it is a sacrifice. Yeah. And every woman and every man who has this as their experience often says, you can't answer that question very well because it's your baby, it's your, it's your buddy, it's your reason, but yeah. there's also a part of you that, that is sad at what you did have. Yeah. Now, because it's not a normal life that you are living. And no. that's where there's, there's a discrepancy there. But what is so beautiful to me is what you said, that 
he is now thriving. And it is the support and the hard work and the determination of who you are. And that you went into the pain of this situation, that you went into this moment and said, I have to make a difference. I don't know where this is going to end up, but I'm going to make a difference. That to me is why your son is successful in what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That's true. I just felt like he, I was his person and, you know, Keith too, like we both worked really hard to figure out what to do for him and getting all these people in place. And then by grade, you know, I was his advocate and his support. And sometimes we, you know, in grade six or so, we were, you know, phoning the school district, going higher up, figuring it out. I wasn't settling for a life that was narrow for Liam. Like I believed in him and, and I wanted him to have every opportunity and to know that he just wasn't that report. He wasn't borderline. He wasn't this, he wasn't that. And then in grade seven, things kind of turned around where we had a social worker at that point who was quite good. And we had, um, I mean, we had had lots of professionals in our life up until then, but sometimes it just takes one or two professionals to kind of get a bigger picture. Sure. And, and it was also piecemeal. Like we had that psychiatrist, then that ADHD psychiatrist, and then the pediatrician, all these little pieces. And that that's one thing for parents that's really hard is there needs to be one core person, not the parent, but a professional that can coordinate all these services. And had he had the autism diagnosis then, that probably would have happened. But because he didn't, I was that key person. And not only were you that key person, but you were the, you were his gatekeeper. You yes. were the researcher. You were yes. the, the, the everyday child worker. You were yes. wearing all the hats. Yes. And what you're saying is I need someone, I, in hindsight, I wanted somebody to wear that, that hat and allow me to be the nurturer. Right. Right. And we had a few of that, but then, you know, you're on a wait list for a social worker and they can only see you for X amount of time. And then they move on and they have these, these different, um, not, I can't think of the name right now. Um, like what you should do next. Right. You know, so then it's up to me. And then I also have another child and I have a husband and (laughs) I try to do it all. And Luke's not that easy. He's in hockey and soccer, which that was fine. Keith was busy with him and all sure, that. Sure, sure. But then in grade seven, he, he had a diagnosis of auditory processing, which is what I was talking about, all these issues coming to you at once. Yes, yes. So in grade seven, there was a program called Fast Forward. And he, yeah, I know. Like, I drove him from where we were living into Langley almost to go to a school there for an hour a day. And he was doing this Fast Forward program. And that teacher who oversaw that program, she was really instrumental for us. And sometimes you need that one person, that one shining knight who says, "Uh uh-uh, you're right, Julie. This is how we, I see him too. There's nothing like being affirmed. Right. And there's nothing like being affirmed. Exactly. And she was also, she was also, you know, she wasn't with the bureaucracy. She was a teacher, but she was a bit of a rebel and a bit of an unconventional thinker and she said 
Liam is really smart. Liam is reading, you know, Liam's reading at a grade nine level and he's in grade seven. I'm like, really? Oh yeah, he's really smart. We just need to, what I was saying, he need to calm down these behaviors. We need to break the pattern of school is negative. I behave in this manner. I don't get to go to school. I don't want to go to school. So let's break this. And she was really instrumental. And then in the afternoon, he was at this program called Focus Track. So I would drive him to Langley for the, this auditory processing program, yep. wait an hour in Langley, pick him up, bring him for home for lunch, and drive him to his next program called Focus Track. That was every, the whole year, grade seven. Every day. Every day. I did that. And, and he was not in conventional school. No, he was not in conventional so school. So his learning was online? No, not, well, the, the morning was this fast forward program. Okay. The afternoon was this one-to-one -one program through the Surrey School District with a one-to-one -one worker okay. and then with an EA. So, and he, so he was learning all the subjects? Yeah, for an hour a day. So what he, what he could learn in an hour a day. Yeah, so okay. he hadn't really been in school since really not very much of grade five. He was in grade six in an autism classroom. I guess he was learning a little bit then. Yeah. Grade yeah. seven, not really. I really fought to get him in a classroom by the end of, towards the end of grade seven. Thinking the word is fighting, right? Fighting. It's, it's like, how come? And they, you know, at that point, I was probably, you know, I'm like, he needs to go. He needs to experience his behaviors had settled. So mm. they agreed. So he was maybe, he took social studies in the afternoon and his behavior was fine. So, so then in grade eight, so meanwhile, we have tons of meetings all the time in regards oh, to yeah. social work, not so, well, social worker and um, with the school district, right? And there's lots of reports in there about that. And, and it was not pleasant. We went higher, higher, higher. And there was also a higher up school principal, district principal who was, I felt she was on my side as well of seeing the bigger picture of Liam. So then by grade eight, he was at a high school near where we live and he had an EA in the classroom. He was only going in the mornings. And that's when the principal said, you know, he should, I don't know if he'll get a dogwood, which is what right. other, most kids get. He'll get a leaving certificate. And I'm like, that's not happening for him. He's wow. getting a dogwood diploma. That is not my, that is not happening for him. No. So. <laughs> just, go, Julie, go. Oh, yeah, I was not like sometimes. I mean, I'm a, I'm a not a, I don't have big press. I mean, but. You I'm know, what were you going to say? What were you going to say? I don't I'm have not an aggressive person, but I'm assertive. And but I can. Wait a minute. You were advocating for Absolutely. your reason. You right. said earlier, he is my reason. Right. And, and that is the message. The parent or the guardian is an advocate for the reason, right. the purpose. That is what gave you right. that, that sense of, no, 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 no. Back up. This is what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. And, and I was the one. I was like, he, yeah. he can learn. We just yeah. need to put him in an environment where we can calm the behavior. So by grades eight in high school, yeah. he was doing pretty well, very well, actually. He would go in the mornings and he loved his EA. And then this, the afternoon program, his EA would drive him to the afternoon program. This 
amazing man who Liam credits for really changing him, that mentor in his life, um, who believed in Liam, who stopped the behaviors, who helped him to learn again. And he was, yeah, grade eight. And then Keith died. So that was September. And then Keith died in, that, in November. So there I was now with being a single mom of these two boys with Liam. <laughs> and, and your and husband of how many years died? 20, 20 years we were, we were married. So the kids were four, Liam had just turned 14 and Luke was 16 when he died. And the next day or two days, Liam wanted to go back to school. Which after was after Keith's death. After Keith's death. I'm like, are you sure, Liam? So school all of a sudden became from a not very safe place to a safe place. Because that was Liam's big desire. He wanted to be normal. He didn't want to be different. He wanted to go to school. So he had settled down enough at that point. There was no more behaviors in grade eight. None of that crazy behaviors. He still had the learning challenges, yeah. but we didn't see any of the behaviors. And he went back to school. Um, we had a psych ed that just about three weeks after Keith died. Um, no, nothing in regards to autism. And in fact, autism was, was sort of put on the back burner because mm. once things settled down a bit and it was less Like chaotic, after, after Keith died? After Keith died, Liam was very settled at school. And in fact, he never missed a day of school that whole year. Never, and very rarely missed any school in high school. Never, never didn't want to go. He didn't want to have an EA in the classroom. He didn't want to feel different. We, he didn't really have any academic pressure in grade eight. And I was just reeling from the loss of Keith too. So after- years. What's that? A husband of 20 years. I know. I know. So yeah. you're trying to deal with like the yeah. emotions of all of that must have been. Emotions about, yeah, it was awful. So Liam would go to school and come home. I didn't think about homework. He didn't have homework. Yeah. We just got through the days and he did pretty well. He, there was, he did very well actually um, in grade eight. And then, you know, grade nine was the same. He did very well. He had the same EA and he was, he was going a full day of school in grade nine. So he did have an EA and that was probably in the, he liked her, but he didn't want her in the class. Didn't want her hovering. So how did that work? So he, she would just wait outside or. No, she'd be in the classroom, but she wasn't specifically like stuck she, to Liam. Yeah, right. Like, so she would help other kids. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, That's yeah. lovely. I, I like how they do that. Yes. That was great. She was fantastic. We, I loved her. I loved her. And so it was pretty good, but. But in grade 10 is when I knew the rubber would hit the road in terms of his academics. So we really focused then on academics. So, but I'm not, it wasn't a rosy picture, grade eight, grade seven, grade eight, in terms of supports. Like I was constantly like, what's, you know, what's going on with Liam in terms of making sure he gets the supports, um, mm -hmm. you know, attending these meetings all the time and making sure he was doing all the coursework to, to graduate. I knew grade eight and grade nine wasn't so challenging in terms of academics, but he needed 
to know how to do certain things, right? And he had missed so much school. Right. So grade 10, he, yeah, schoolwork was becoming more challenging. And I was then three hours a night doing homework with him because then I had the emotional energy to do that. And I was helping him with his homework. And he still was quite a lonely child, I would say, because even though he was in school, it was very hard for him to connect with his peers because he was still socially and emotionally quite young for his years. So it was very hard. Like he had friends where he lived, but he didn't have very many friends in school. So he was lonely a lot of the time. And and that doesn't help, you know? And was he articulating that to you? Yes, he's very verbal with me about how he felt and why don't I have any friends and I'm not good, I'm not smart, I'm not, why do I have to be different? Um, And he is a bit like, he would always say, just kidding, just kidding, like, his like I knew that he like it wasn't smooth sailing at home either like he's very black and white thinker um impulsive quick to anger sometimes depends on the situation um so I knew even though he was 15 I was dealing more with a 10 or 11 year old and that's also are adding on to that the death of a father and the death of a father. And, exactly. and what that would, what would that do to his sense of safety and belonging and increase yes. anger and, and all of that. Yes. So you, when you say Liam is complex, this is absolutely the case. Yeah, he's absolutely complex. And Liam was awesome though about verbalizing how he felt. You know, he'd come and sit with me in bedtime and I miss my dad. It's just like, you know, I can handle my own pain but to have my kids experience, I just would do anything to take that away from, for them. And I couldn't, right? So I just had to be there for them. And yeah. I couldn't even say it would be okay. I just would say, well, it would be okay, but it was awful. <laughs> well, you were, you were affirming what was the present moment. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's not yeah. okay right now. Yeah, it's not okay, but we'll get through it. We'll you know? get through it. Yeah. We'll, we'll, and we... It's not even a getting through, it's we will walk this through. We will walk it together. And again, we go back to that point of certainty where everybody desires certainty. Yeah, yeah. So he. So moving ahead of, you know, into grade 10, 11, 12, yeah. uh, you're saying there were no real apparent issues after that. He was, he was going on track. He was, except school became that much more challenging. I had to work really hard to make sure that he was passing. And if, I, if he had been left to his own devices, there's no way he would have graduated. There's no way he... I was three hours of a night of doing homework with him. Liam... So what was out. the auditory processing still happening in that... That was more of the, yeah, probably, but he just need, he just needed constant support. And then in grade 10 or 11, I can't remember the year, I think it was beginning of grade 11. He, there was a couple of things that happened. One is a a new vice principal came in and a new counselor. So the counselor we'd had since grade eight was quite good. His um, LST support teacher. uh, Mm Mm-hmm. I wasn't so keen on, but um, they emailed me at the start of, I think it was grade 11, not even a phone call, an email to say that they were pulling 
all of his supports. And he had a designation at that point of um, chronic health. And they were pulling this designation. So chronic health means that he was then um, entitled to an EA in the classroom. But because he was doing so well socially and emotionally, because compared to where he was, to where he was now, he was, absolutely. He still needed supports though. He still had a learning disability. He still needed three hours of homework a night. Like, so, but they pulled all the support, so. And what was the basis? And it, it's not that, a phone call either, it's an email. An email that he, we were, he was doing, oh, that we should be so happy that he's doing so much better. But at, at that point, so at that point I was in a relationship with Ian, who was a LST teacher. Um, so I, I'm in a relationship. This was three years ago. Okay. He, he's had been gone, he's been gone almost five years now. Five years, so yeah. Three, yeah, three years, grade 11, grade 12. Two, two years ago, grade 11. So, um, but the, yeah, two years ago, they had pulled all the supports for him. So that was really the impetus to get us, to get him retested for autism. Because I thought if he's going to be yanked all the supports and I knew that it was not smooth sailing for him, that there were still these issues. The behavior wasn't there, but the issues were still there, right? Mm -hmm. His OCD, his anxiety, um, his, there was a lot going on that he needed to be reassessed. So I went to the pediatrician, I explained it all to him. He made a referral for Sunny Hill to be tested for autism because we thought as he ages, if he gets a diagnosis of autism, then there'll be more supports as he gets older. But then the system is what it is, and there was a year and a half, almost wait list. Unbelievable. So he, he managed to get through grade 11 with a huge amount of supports through us, through me, through Ian. And then he was, had an appointment in grade 12, February of grade 12, where then they compiled information from, from me, from his teacher, few teachers we picked, from his pediatrician, and um, interviewed Liam, interviewed me, interviewed Ian at that point. And then it came back that, yes, he had autism. And what the... And, and, and how does that... How come? Yeah, like, I, know. I know. Well, I think at that point, the diagnosis, the, the, the DSM had changed to kind of incorporate that PDD, which I was talking about. Right. And even the the doctor who tested Liam said it was, it's not that, wasn't that clear. And he's very high functioning autistic, sure. right? Sure. Which yeah. I was grateful for. And at that point I knew what questions they were going to ask me in the interview. And I'm smart person. <laughs> I knew I wanted him tested for autism, right? Sure. And I mean, I want him, him to have the diagnosis. So yes. So he was, which was a blessing in disguise in a way, because he was then able to get the support. So now we have supports in place. Now we have a social worker and she's been fantastic. I mean, she leaves now that he's 19, but now he'll have what's called, and he then qualified for community living supports. Um, so that as he ages, there's someone there that can monitor him, help him, support him. And like help him through and it's not all on me anymore 
And so that's in, that's happening now. Yes, it's happening now. And so where is he now? What is the, what is the story now? He, he got his dogwood. He got his dogwood. He graduated. He got bees and, oh, and he graduated. What a moment for you all. Oh, absolutely. I was so you. proud of him. I know. And from, I know, and it, it took, yeah, it was amazing. And so good. And even though we had to help him three hours a night of his homework, yeah. He was able to do it. Like he was, a, he's a smart kid. He just needs the support. It might be where he was telling me, you know, he had a, something to do for socials or whatever. And yeah. I'd be telling me and I'd be writing it down. Like we figured out how, for the yeah. adaptations in the class. You were the scribe. You were, you were the scribe. scribe. And that's the other thing they pulled was any sort of adaptation. So Gosh. Liam and I, or Ian and I would have to go directly to each teacher. They were fantastic in terms of modifying for the most part or adapting sure you know and he he never missed a day of school in grade 12 really never unbelievable at that point like he had a psychiatrist that was monitoring his medication because ocd you know his anxiety is quite strong where he worries if he saw a homeless person on the street he'd say mom i worried about me in the future um wow. that's gonna be me He's, mom, I'm worried if I put on this underwear, it's going to change things. Um, those are some of his thoughts, mom, but he has a ritualized type of behaviors. And if he doesn't do them, he's worried something's going to happen. Like what, what, what would that be? What would, in another example of a ritualized behavior? Mm, well, when he was little, it was throwing a towel exactly perfectly right to hit the floor. And if he didn't do that, he'd have to do it again. Or he tap or touch something like repetitively mm -hmm. um, just sort of OCD type behavior yeah so. like in 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 a, every time the every time yeah yeah or touch me he was always like touching tapping sorts of yeah. thing so that's in, in, improved with time as well um and he was at that like last year once we got the autism diagnosis then you get x amount of dollars between now when he turns 19 so then that became my job to get him support so i got him a really good psychologist in vancouver i drive him and um that was helpful and he liam was ready then for therapy because he could work through he had the cognitive yeah. ability to do that so that helped and yeah so graduation so graduation I, this yeah. is like you must have been like yeah, it was pretty good. It's yeah. a very emotional thing when yeah. the work and you can see, you know, the possibility unfolding. You know, um, this is what happens to people when we give possibility. Yeah. Right? That's, yeah. that's it. And it's so beautiful to hear. And what a... I mean, it takes a village. It, it, it really, really does. Yeah, yeah. It does. Everyone's supporting one another, you know. Right. And that's the thing, like what you said, is that's what I've always believed in Liam was the possibility. Not his limitations, but his possibility. And then, like, I really became his safe person. And, and in a way, I needed to detach a little and I needed to let him fly. So, Okay, so Julie, how yeah. did you do that? So for somebody, there's going to be a lot of people listening to this. And they're going to say, they're, they might have that feeling of, oh, this is my story. 
I'm living this out right now with one of my children. How do you detach? Because, you know, you're a great person to suggest because of look at how the dynamic and what you've shared. How do you, how did you detach and let him fly a little without much? It's, it's hard. And, and I think I needed someone else to tell me I was maybe doing too much for Liam. Like Luke would tell me, mom, he can do that. Mom, you're doing too much. Mom. And, and I would. So I, I think it became some awareness on my part that I could step back a little. Can you recall uh, an example? Yeah. So making his breakfast, doing his oh. lunch, all those basic things I would do for him that he could do on his own. Um, I think as a parent, I realized that if he made a mistake, and not an earth-shattering mistake, sure. but mistake right. that that's how they learn and not to kind of shelter both my boys from making any mistakes for fear that they're going to get hurt because sometimes the mistakes and the failures are how they learn. So mm-hmm. I, I was even, I was able, yeah, with Liam to kind of let him make a few mistakes in grade 11 and grade 12 and in, in life. And I couldn't make it better for him. Right. With socially and protection. Yeah. The, the need to protect or, you know, feeling protective given the circumstances, not only are you dealing with this behavior and the way that he uh, has been interacting with the world and the way that he sees and perceives people in school and groups and whatever, yeah. but you're also dealing with this other level of protection that not a lot of people have when a parent dies, when there's this absence. So then you move into this natural place of protecting because you really don't want him to experience anything more. No, that's true. That's... Right? It's like, no, I, I'm going to make his lunch because do you know what's happened here? Yeah. Right? Yeah. The worlds are falling apart. How did you, can you give one example of your thought process on letting go? Um, well, because I can't always be there for him. So that I need, he needed to, I needed to let go because I wasn't doing him any favors. If, if he always relied on me for everything, how right. was he ever going to rely on himself? And that's what he needed for his independence was, was so it to started decisions. It started basically with household things. Yeah, household things was a big thing. Yeah, cleaning his room, cleaning his bathroom. And it was little things like when we would go to a store, for example, he'd always want me to go and pay for it. I'm like, no, Liam, you can do that yourself. You can go. Or if you wanted a pair of shoes, you go ask the guy what size you are. Like little things like that. And now he doesn't even ask at all. He just goes and does it himself, right? Those little things you would take for granted as a parent that, you know, he needed to do to advocate for himself, to speak up for himself, to, because those are all self-esteem building exercises. And if I was always to do something for him, where does he get his self-esteem from? Well, I guess I can't do anything. I guess my mom does everything for me. How will he learn? Let me go check with my mom. Let me go check with my mom. And he does do that all the time. And I always say to him, not as much, but still, 
Liam, those answers are within. Liam, you need to trust yourself. Liam, if yeah. I give you the answers for everything, you won't, you won't learn. So, but Julie, being honest with me, yeah, that is a frightening risk for a parent to say that. Yeah, because then you don't know what they're going to do. <laughs> I know but these are pretty easy things. Like, what am I? What pants am I going to wear today? It's not life or death situations. No, the answer is within. You already know. You right. Know you, you trust that you know. Or mom, wow. it was like not any big things. But, those but were are... there big decisions that you needed to say, no, you got this? Yeah. Well, yeah. Like he was, he went to Anvil Camp for three summers in a row and he was a leader in training. And that's big. Yeah. Yeah, that was huge. He had to apply and he had to be interviewed. So that was like, no, Liam, you've got this. You've got the answers from within. He was in a youth group one whole year, all of his grade 11 year. He loved that. Yeah. So I would always put things in front of him so he could succeed on his own. What about like uh, transportation? No, nah, that's one thing. Well, no, he didn't do, he didn't, he can't, like, he's almost 19. He wanted to be able to learn how to drive. And we, I just said, no, you need to be a little older. He's not ready for that. He might when he gets home, but. Because he, he, right now he's in. He's in Hawaii and he's doing something called Youth with, with a Mission. So he's there for five months and he's on his own. And he's with a group of kids and leaders. So he's three months in Hawaii. And then in December, he goes to the Philippines for two months on a missions trip. Now, does, is there a point person for him? Yes, there is. So there's leaders, there's support available. And it was a good place for us, for him to be independent and yet dependent. And safe. And safe. Okay. He, he's going, he's not going to like... Like Luke went to Guatemala when he graduated from grade 12. He was gone for five months. He went on his own. Right. I am not right. doing that for Liam. No. Like I, we, I flew with him there. We dropped him off at the base. It's a safe, supportive environment where he can start like making decisions. Like he's got to figure out transportation. He's doing his laundry. Wow. He's um, with other kids his age and older. Sure. And he's in a safe, supported, loving environment with people who will understand him. Has he called home? Yes. He, last Monday, I was still in Hawaii and he emailed. So he'd been five or messaged me. It was five days on his own and the same issues started cropping up. Okay. Mom, why do I have to have autism? Why do I have to be the weird kid? Okay. Why did God make me like this? Why can't I get along? Like, Oh, he gets along with, but why do I have to be different? There's a girl I like. She doesn't like me. This was a recurring theme throughout all of high school. This was not new. Okay. So how do you handle that? What was your, what's your strategy? So Liam, these are your thoughts. They don't make it true. Um, mm -hmm. I, I would always say that to Liam, just because you think it doesn't make it true. Wow. You are created perfectly. There's nothing wrong with how you are or how God made you. You are fine just the way you are. Um, but I'm also trying to get him to have those messages from within and not from me telling sure. him. 
Sure. So I said, is there anyone you can talk to? Because sometimes if you talk to someone, you find out you're not alone, right? Wow. And that is one of Liam's strengths. He can be quite open and vulnerable. So mm -hmm. he said, yes, I will. Oh. So he did talk to someone. Good. And they messaged me like, mom, it was such a good conversation. Guess what? He feels just like I feel. Because that's why I told him like, I really try to normalize his behavior too. And I say, wow. just because you see someone as like super outgoing and super chatty and thinks that they, you know, have it all together. Don't compare your insides with people's outsides. Like that's just smoke and mirrors. Oh. Right? Like, and I was like that. I was a shy kid. I looked at the outgoing girl and thinking, oh, look at her. She has all together. And I felt insecure. Like I get that. So I would say to Liam, no, 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 that, no, no. Like, you, just take time. Like, everyone's got something, Liam. And even though they look like they have it all together, they don't. So I'm just trying to normalize that for him, that he's not any different, even though he feels that way. But he's got to get to that himself. So having that conversation with Joe really helped him. Hmm. And then the next morning, he emailed me again. Mom, I can't do this work. I'm so dumb. And it was like reading from the Bible and then seeing how God would speak to him. Okay. It was not complicated. It was very easy. And I said, Liam, basically that. Calm down. This isn't complicated. You can do this. And I, you know, tried to help him break down the steps because he, it's, it's very hard putting him his thoughts on people. Right. So we got through that. And then I did email Joe and I just said, thank you so much for talking to Liam. I think it really helped him. Um, these are some of the things that Liam struggles with. Um, these are some of the learning challenges that I found going through school. He needs to put his thoughts on paper verbally is much easier than writing it down. And then Joe responded back to say, we love Liam. We care about him. He's in the right place. Um, it's very normal what he's experiencing. We're not going to let him fall through the cracks. Hmm. That was Tuesday. And then last Wednesday, Liam was sounded awesome and was doing really well and said, mom, I'm like taking the bus and he's doing his laundry. I mean, there's little things too, like, mom, can I wash this with this? Like right. basic things, right? Like, yeah, don't wash your like, like, like these kinds of things. It's, it's really neat how you've proceeded here because you know, I, I have an auditory processing issue. I, I cannot, I can't write very well. And I wrote every day for eight years because I wanted to make it better. I can talk better than I can write. You can yeah. just ask the people that edit my work. <laughs> I'm like, sorry about this hot vomit that's spewing out of my mouth right now. Go and pick that up and put it in a perfect paragraph, will ya? Yeah. But, but that is true. When, when you start understanding that you're not alone. And yeah. isn't that what we're doing here? We're yeah. bringing this conversation to people to say, you're not alone and it's okay. Keep going. And there will be a time where you will let go. There will be a time. Now, some children on the autism spectrum will not have that option. Some yeah. children are nonverbal. Some are, there's different levels here, but for those who are resonating with your story today, this, the information and what you've been giving is amazing because it 
absolutely resonates and it works. And this is really powerful. And I love how you are saying this is within you. You have it within you. We all have been created and we're all made. And this is a celebration. And so, you know, for Liam, he needs to know that I have auditory processing issues, <laughs> that I am not as I seem. We all have different things that are our point of contact, our point of struggle. And I'm, I lived a life of insecurity. Yeah. I was always insecure. Mm-hmm. And, and that person that is extroverted, oh man, you know, why can't I be like that? I'm like, well, but you know, mm-hmm. everybody has this and it's not to normalize, it's to say you're not alone. Yeah. Possibility is available to every single person. And it seems to me yeah. like when we connect to the reason, whether the reason is your child the reason is your lifelong dream. The reason is whatever that makes you feel connected to the world, to God, to yourself. That is where the power is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And for Liam, I've always believed in his possibility. You sure I've have. Put things in place. Like he was in cadets all last year and he was in awesome. guitar lessons, youth group. And awesome. like, I just always yeah put put all these things in place for him so that he could be at this point right now doing okay and thriving in fact in hawaii without me like i've done my job what would you what would you say to someone who is hearing this and saying okay i I, re- I resonate deeply. What would you say? And let's just say that person is, has a child in elementary school. How, what would you say to them to give them just a little hope? I would say a couple of things. One is keep fighting for your child because you know your child the best. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to find a person that also sees that and is willing to walk with you through that journey like a professional in fact who can help you navigate and it's important i think to keep telling your story to to um to see your child in a way that other people may not see him and for people to understand that um if you go to different meetings that you're able to say things in a way that you can be heard and be assertive without being aggressive and that everyone's basically on the same page wanting what's best for your child. And it might be where you might disagree and it's okay to disagree, but your child has to be foremost. And And would you say, Julie, that it it really pushes you? Because if if you're, if, if I can, um, I can, see how sometimes even in a meeting, I don't say what I really feel sometimes as it pertains to my kid. And I, you know, and it it would really push you if you're an introverted person and you, and you're maybe feeling intimidated by the faculty or whatever, that you're just going, oh, I don't want to say that. I, you know, it's important to move forward. It's important to keep that. It stretches you. It stretches you as a person. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I've, I've learned too over the years to say things in a way that I can be heard. Wow. Um, 
and not to be aggressive or, and if, if I come from the mindset that everyone wants what's best for my child, then um, I can say things in a way that will be heard. So, and I had to learn that too. And there was times where I would get quite angry, especially like in the grade five, six, seven years, right? Wow. Where things were so challenging and difficult. But I think in some ways I had to get, I had to be such a strong advocate for him to get from there to here. Um, so there's a place of, for that too, where you do have to fight and you do have to go higher, 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 and don't be afraid to be the squeaky wheel. Mm. And I, I wasn't afraid to be the squeaky wheel. So. Well, that's good. <laughs> and I, you're not a squeaky wheel to me. You're a, you're a, you're a holder of possibility. Yeah. And that to me is beautiful. And I know that uh, Liam wouldn't be who he is if he didn't have you and he didn't have Keith and he didn't have no. the experiences and the communication and the feeling of you are that you're putting him as priority. Yeah. So yeah. thank you, Julie, for this amazing conversation. I, I appreciate it so much. And you've really said some things here that are, are life-giving and reminded me. And I, I think you've reminded our, our, our listeners that it is within. This is, this is just something that we can all identify with. We all have what we need inside of us. And even if we feel like we have some shortcomings, we are wonderfully made. And there's something beautiful in each and every one of us. And thank you for reminding us about that. Thank you for sharing your, your journey. And um, I appreciate it very much. Thank you. I f it feels really good to be able to share my story. So thank you for listening. <laughs>